Want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room episode ad-free? Head on over to our Patreon, where you will get this episode and all of our episodes ad-free. And you can see our video episode, including this one right now, where you'll see my beautiful face and the guest's beautiful face. Who doesn't love that? And I am so excited to announce that all of you can get a one-week free trial on our Patreon. Join the ITBR professor level and you unlock all of Mary's True Crime and Academia Patreon episodes, our rewatch show, including Queer as Folk and Smash. You can even listen to us dissect Scream and The Exorcist. And I heard, rumor has it, that we have an upcoming Britney Spears episode, a Fall of the House of Usher episode, and yes, even a Saltburn episode, which is going to be quite riveting. So head to patreon.com backslash ivory tower boiler room, join the one week free trial and see what you're missing out on. And while you're at it, please follow us on Instagram and TikTok at ivory tower boiler room, rate, follow and subscribe to us on Apple and Spotify podcasts. Thanks so much. And I hope that you enjoy all of our ivory tower boiler room episodes. Hey, true crime friends, welcome back to another episode of True Crime in Academia. I am your host, Mary DePippi. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Um, I know true crime took an extra week break. I've had a lot of craziness going on at work right now. Um, we have this like annual meeting coming up and, you know, we got people flying in and my department is responsible for handling literally everything. So as far as this meeting is concerned. So it's been nuts the past couple of days. I am exhausted. But yeah, I wanted to get an episode out for you guys today. There is no news update. Like I said, because of all the craziness, I just have not had time. There are certain stories like obviously the Epstein list that's come out. Um, in increments the, over the past couple of, or the past month or so. So I wanted to dive into that, but I wanted to make sure I had enough time to really look into it, be able, you know, to just report on it properly. So, you know, I just had to cut that part out for today's episode. So, yeah, next week, hopefully I should be able to have an uh, news update for you guys then. I am, oh my god, I am so tired. <laughs> um, also, I'm like, I don't know if it's, it's not fumes, it's neat. I sprayed some neem oil and diluted in water for my one plant that I have. It looks like it had like an infestation of some sort of like little white flies or something, like gnat type of things. Um, but so I just cut it down. Or that's what I wound up doing, just cutting it down. But now, 
And like the pot's like right next to me. So now all I smell is that neem oil and it's just nasty. Um, it didn't used to bother me before. I don't know why it's bothering me now, but whatever. I mean, it's also been a while since I've used it. So that's probably why too. So yeah. This week's case, we are diving into the murder of a 22-year-old accountant slash recent accounting graduate of the University of Kentucky, a man named Michael Turpin. Um, We're going to see sort of how greed and drugs sadly played into his death, not death, murder. But before we do, we're going to take a quick break, and then we will get into this week's episode. Are you a fan of LGBTQ plus books, plays, movies, TV shows? Well, then I have the magazine for you. It's called The Gay and Lesbian Review. The GNLR is a bi-monthly magazine of history, culture, and politics that publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies. Each issue brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme, and it brings together the leading minds on the topic. So I just had on Dr. Richard Schneider Jr., the founder and editor-in-chief of the GNLR, for the GNLR's 30th anniversary. Happy birthday, GNLR. Dr. Richard Schneider talked about their special volume called Outer Appearances, More Faces from the Annals of the GNLR, illustrations by Charles Heffling. They cover current LGBTQ artists such as Harvey Firestein, Melissa Etheridge, Alan Cumming, James Whiteside, Alison Bechdel, and even David Sedaris, and of course, many others like Stephen Sondheim. There's even a supplemental issue that comes with your commemorative volume. And Andrew Halloran, the writer of Dancer from the Dance, he reviews a book called Morris about E.M. Farster's Morris, written by one of our ITBR guests, David Grevin. So we can't wait for you all to experience this beautiful 30th anniversary GNLR issue. Have you heard some of my GNLR interviews, including Dr. Andrew Lear's discussion about male-male love in ancient Greek society and Ignacio Darnad opening and blasting the closet door in the queer male art world? Well, definitely make sure you listen to them after this episode. Head to glreview.org. Make sure you subscribe to their magazine. You'll see there's a section that says subscribe at the top. Enter the promo code ITBR50. That's ITBR50 to receive 50% off, 50% off any print or digital subscription. Enjoy your reading. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? Or have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? Then the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie. In addition to the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog. 
So you can see all of this on glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Remember, you get 50% off your subscription of the GL Review magazine when you use the promo code ITBR50. That's 50% off your print or digital subscription when you use promo code ITBR50. To learn more about submitting an article for the GNLR, Visit their writer's guidelines. The link is located at the bottom of their homepage. And if you have any questions, email Stephen Hemrick. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot H-E-M-R-I-C-K at glreview.org. The GNLR and its readers can't wait to see what you have to say. The holiday season may be behind us, but guess what's lurking around the corner? Picture that little baby with a bow and arrow. Yes, Valentine's Day is almost here. And I'm thinking of what gift can I get that my boyfriend will absolutely love and gush over? Well, he is a horror movie fanatic, so I think I have just the thing that he'll die for. Pun intended. My good friend Mandy Bangle is the owner of Mandy Made It a craft company where she specializes in crochet and pre-cut handmade gifts. So whether your partner is a horror movie fanatic, I'm sure that they have a TV show they love. Maybe there's a book that they love, a music artist, a sports team that they cheer for. Mandy has you covered from shirts, hats, beanie hats, which I love to wear at the gym, car decals, Beer and coffee koozies, keychains, stuffed animals, signs that you want to put all over your apartment. She is ready to create any customized order. So head to Instagram right now. Type in at Mandy Made It. That's M-A-N-D-E-E Made It. Slide into her DMs and she is ready to start working on your order. Just send her a few ideas. You could say, Hey, my boyfriend really loves horror movies. Or hey, my boyfriend really loves the Broadway musical, Wicked. I'm sure she will figure out some concoction for you and say that you heard her ad on the Ivory Tower Boiler Room because she's going to give you an exclusive ITBR free gift. She's also working on a new line of ITBR merchandise. So I can't wait to share all of that information with you. Make sure you mention at Ivory Tower Boiler Room when your gift arrives from Mandy so I can share it out on our Instagram. I hope you all enjoy your gifts. Michael Robert Turpin was born on October 3rd, 1963 in Los Angeles County, California to parents Donald Turpin and Stuart Stanley. Now, I'm not sure of the gender of Stuart, but Donald is, when spoken about, referenced as Michael's father. You know, personally, I've never heard of a woman named Stuart, but, you know, obviously that could be entirely possible. But it's also possible that Stuart is a man. I did try to find out, but not that, you know, it really matters or anything. I personally am just curious. Now, it was said by Michael's family and friends that he was outgoing and had a passion for running, basketball, and playing the saxophone. After high school, Michael went to study accounting at the University of Kentucky. There, he played in the university's marching band for all four years he attended. 
And it was said that he also majored in drums as well as um, accounting. However, I don't know if he earned his degree for drums. Now, aside from earning his accounting degree, Michael also met his future wife at the University of Kentucky, a woman named Elizabeth Zender. She was actually a flag girl in the marching band. Now, I don't know for certain, but based off of their age difference, I think he would have been a either a junior or a senior when she would have been a freshman at the university. The two quickly fell in love and got married in Lexington's Emmanuel Baptist Church on August 24th, 1985. The young couple seemed to be blossoming in their new life to a lot of people on the outside. You know, Michael had just graduated college. He was starting to work in an office. And Elizabeth had gotten a job at a Nissan dealership as, I think, a sales associate. So, you know, they were starting their lives. They had their own place. You know, they had a modest lifestyle from what I gathered. Um... Some sources said they lived in an apartment. Others said they lived in a house. Um, But either way, you know, they had their own place. So they were, you know, really just in the beginnings of starting their life together. Those close to the couple, however, knew better, meaning they knew more of the ins and outs of this relationship. Now, friends had said that Elizabeth was actually the one who was refusing to give up her party girl lifestyle. And because of that, it was putting the couple in a dire financial situation. And so much so that there were rumors that Michael had started embezzling from the office he was working at in order to, you know, meet these financial demands from his wife. Now, things took a horrific turn on February 2nd, 1986. So... They haven't even been married for a full year. And Elizabeth had returned home one morning after spending the night at a friend's house because she had gone out. And she walked into an empty apartment or home and found the walls covered in blood. She immediately called the police and reported Michael missing. After days of searching, police were finally able to find Michael's body. It was located in a pond at Lexington's Lakeside Golf Course. His body was wrapped in his green bathrobe and covered with two additional blankets. The autopsy revealed that he had been stabbed 19 times in his face and throat. Which, you know, obviously we know already that stabbing is a very personal way to kill someone and the fact that you know they went for the face and throat you know I mean the throat is obviously I guess maybe a smart and I hate to even say that but like a decent choice when you're trying to kill someone because of the main arteries that are in there in your neck and throat area but the face that's just you know it's it's a little gruesome Well, not a little, a lot gruesome and just, ugh. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I'm really excited to talk to you all about one of our ITBR sponsors, Broadview Press. 
Broadview Press is an independent academic publisher in the humanities that produces high-quality, pedagogically useful books for use in university and college classrooms. They publish mainly in English studies, writing, philosophy, and history. They are always publishing with an eye towards diversity, building a strong list of titles from women, people of color, and authors from other marginalized groups. If you haven't heard my Broadview Press interviews, you need to. Recently, I just had on Dr. Shannon Day, who talked about her book, Beyond the Binary, Thinking About Sex and Gender. And in the summer, I had on Dr. Jason Holt, who gave us all a comprehensive history of what it means to be a philosopher who studies sporting culture. And of course, we went back to ancient Greek, literature, mythology, history, to look at the roots of athleticism. And... Last year, I had on Dr. Jeffrey Andrew Weinstock, who's actually going to be coming on the podcast soon to give his thoughts on the new Fall of the House of Usher Netflix series. He talked all about pop culture for beginners. And Broadview Press is offering an exclusive discount because of our sponsorship. So head to broadviewpress.com where you're going to see such a wide range of literature. Use the code Ivory Tower, I V O R Y. T-O-W-E-R for 20% off site-wide all of their books. Again, it's broadviewpress.com. Enjoy your reading. I am here in Port Jefferson, New York on Long Island in one of my favorite stores. It is the Soapbox NY, a Bath and Body Boutique. I'm here with one of the co-owners, Janine. Hi, Janine. Hi, Andrew. How are you? Thank you. Good. So I know you have many winter scents to walk us through. So let's yes. get started. This is from company Michelle Design Works, another one of our favorites. Room spray that you can use any room in your house, just kind of freshens up the room a bit. And what is this by Michelle Design Also Works? by Michelle Design Works is Winter Blooms, one of their new scents this holiday season. It's great. It's um, a hand wash. You can use it in your kitchen or your bathroom. And then here's and something to follow it up with. Exactly. It's a hand and body lotion. And then what is this beautiful decorative candle here? One of our favorites that we actually sell mm. all year round because it's so popular. This is the scent of Fraser Fur by Times. I think I'm becoming addicted to it. Yes. I think you are because you already own one, I believe. I own one <laughs> and it is a decorative candle for me because I'm about to open it, but it's just in such I know the a beautiful is, package. I don't know what's better, the packaging or the scents. I'm using it beautiful. as a holiday decoration. So cool. I'll get to the candle eventually, everyone. But it's wonderful because with Times and their Fraser Fur, not only do they carry the candles, but they also make it in the sense in the diffuser, in soap, the hand lotion, the um, the hand soap. It's just a great line and a great scent. So, Janine, how can everyone out there get their hands on your hand and body and even pajama products? Well, we'd be more than happy to see you in our shop. We're located at 18 Chandler Square in Port Jefferson Village. You could always call us to place an order. We're happy to ship to you. Our phone number is 631-509-1424. You can place an order on our website, soapboxny.com. And you could also find us on Instagram or TikTok at the soapboxny. So many options. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for all of you out there to just enjoy what I love so much about the Soapbox NY. So with yeah, that, thank you so much. Happy winter, everyone. Imagine that you're riding the Turner Classic movie, Great Movie Ride in Hollywood Studios. It's in the 1990s 
as you're journeying through the great movie ride, you pass the Wizard of Oz, where all of a sudden you see the Wicked Witch of the West ascend into Munchkinland in a cloud of smoke and flames. Well, that's the memory I have with the great movie ride in classic cinema when I was at Disney in the 1990s as a young boy. And ever since that, I was hooked on classic cinema. Well, my friend Christian Garcia, friend of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, has a podcast that you all are going to love. It's called That Old Gay Classic Cinema, and he looks at queer themes in classic cinema, like Vertigo, The Wizard of Oz, Sleeping Beauty, Mary Poppins, 101 Dalmatians, Hello Dolly, the list can go on and on and on. So follow him on Instagram at That Old Gay Classic Cinema. You can listen to his podcast on Apple and Spotify. And he also is on the premiere episode of our Queer as Folk podcast, where I'm re-watching every episode of Queer as Folk from 2000. And the episodes come out bi-weekly. So make sure you listen to his episode with me. And he's launching a rewatch show of Smash, where they're putting on a Marilyn Monroe musical. So he's going to be joined by co-hosts, a lot who are in the Broadway and theater industry, and I'm going to be on his first episode. So without further ado, get listening to That Old Gay Classic Cinema. Enjoy. Now, the officers and detectives who responded to Elizabeth's 911 call were immediately suspicious of her. When they were interviewing her and speaking to her about, you know, obviously where she was and things like that, she offered up way too many explanations and justifications as to why she wasn't home that night. Now, I always say that you can't judge someone's reaction to grief, but sometimes in certain cases, you know, the gut intuition is sometimes right. Now, she told police that she had been out at a club called The Circus with her co-workers from the Nissan dealership she worked at. She stated that she left Michael at their home at around 7.15 p.m. She admitted to being drunk and that she had left the bar late, or the club, I should say. So she decided that she was going to spend the night at one of her co-workers that she was really friendly with. That co-worker was a woman named Karen Brown. Elizabeth also told police that Michael was allegedly embezzling money from his company and was involved in dealing drugs for some sort of organized crime group and went by the street name Shark. Now, of course, when Michael's family found out that Elizabeth was saying all of this, they were furious and denied all of the accusations. To no surprise, or at least it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, these accusations were entirely false and there was no evidence to support them. On February 4th, Karen Brown actually strolled into the police station and offered up a statement. And in doing so, she basically corroborated all of Elizabeth's claims about Michael and the embezzling and, you know... The drug dealing and his whereabouts, or her, I'm sorry, not his, her whereabouts the night of Michael's murder. Now, according to the police reports, Karen also insisted that Michael had been physically abusive towards Elizabeth. 
Now, like the previous accusations that Elizabeth was throwing out, there had been no evidence to support these claims. It just sucks, like, the fact that this poor man is, like, getting his name drug and his character essentially drug through the mud after his death. And in some ways, like, to me, it feels like Karen is doing this. I mean, we'll you'll find out in a little bit. But it seems like Karen is trying to lay some groundwork to kind of give sympathy to Elizabeth in some ways and, like, her possible potential role, if any, in his death. So it's kind of, like, just fucked up. Well, not kind of. It is fucked up. The whole thing, obviously, is fucked up. Police did some more digging into the Turpin marriage and the widow's friendship with Karen Brown. They discovered that Elizabeth seemed to be having an affair with her friend, Karen. There were many witnesses that saw the pair at the club kissing multiple times during the night. They also discovered that Karen was a cocaine dealer and Elizabeth just so happened to be one of her clients. What's more is that police found out that Michael had a $60,000 life insurance policy. And I'm sure you can guess who the sole beneficiary of that was. Of course, Elizabeth. Now, Karen wasn't the only one to come forward to the police at first. Her two roommates did as well. But they kind of sang a different tune. In certain ways, anyway. They didn't really know much about Michael and Elizabeth's relationship or anything like that. But they did notice some things about Karen. One of them told police that they saw bloodstains in Karen's car and even got a few drops of it on their shoes when Karen gave him a ride to work in the morning. Now, both of the roommates claimed to have seen Karen cleaning her bloodstained car with a colleague from work, one that wasn't Elizabeth Turpin. This colleague was a mechanic for the dealership named Keith Ronald Bouchard. Now, once police were on to Keith, they did some digging and found out from a witness that he was one of the employees from the dealership that was out at the circus the night of the murder with Karen and Elizabeth. So police are kind of at this point realizing that maybe this night out could potentially just be a cover since they're all there. But there's clearly a connection between the three of them and their strange behavior and, of course, Michael Turpin's murder. Police decide to bring Karen and Keith in for questioning. And surprisingly, at least to me, Karen sang like a bird. In all seriousness, and, you know, not to give Karen any credit, really, but for perspective, it seems like from what I've read in my resources, which are listed in the show notes below, Karen seemed to have been racked with guilt when she was being interrogated, which is why she confessed to her role of being a getaway driver in Michael's murder. A search warrant of her car was executed and revealed traces of Michael's blood and bleach. Karen didn't just offer up her own role in Michael's murder. She also offered up the roles of mechanic Keith and widow Elizabeth. 
Now, according to Karen, Keith carried out Michael's murder by stabbing him in the face and throat the 19 times after she dropped him off at Elizabeth and Michael's house. She said that Keith knocked on the door, and when Michael answered, Keith attacked him and killed him inside of his own home. One source even claimed that Keith used paring knives. As for the young widow, because remember, they're like 19, 20, 22, 23 at this point. Um, Michael and Elizabeth, that is. Elizabeth being the younger. Karen stated that Elizabeth was actually the brains of her husband's murder. Like, she planned the whole thing. It was her idea. It's, ugh, disgusting. Karen continued and told police how after he was dead, she and Keith got him into her car and then dumped Michael's body in a spillway in the Lexington's Lakeside Golf Course. Police, shortly after, arrested all three participants and charged them with first-degree murder. Keith took a plea deal in exchange for life in prison without the possibility of parole. Basically, my guess from that is is that that just got the death penalty off the table as far as a sentence for Keith. In return, though, Keith would have to take the stand in both Karen's and Elizabeth's trial, which he did. He testified about his role in Michael's murder and provided the juries with his account of what happened that night. For the most part, his testimony matches up with Karen's confession. However, he insists that Karen was present and active during the murder and not just hanging out in the car. He said that she had actually pinned Michael to the floor while he stabbed Michael. Keith also stated that Elizabeth had provided the pair with a spare key, even though they chose to knock anyway. Keith stated that Elizabeth's motive for killing Michael was fueled by Elizabeth's party-all-the-time lifestyle. Basically, she wanted the money so she could continue, I guess, being an addict and, you know, having the party life, I guess. Both Karen and Elizabeth were found guilty and sentenced to life in prison with parole eligibility after 25 years. That has since passed slash been completed. In 2021, Elizabeth, Keith, and Karen were all denied parole for the last time, which means that they will be spending the rest of their days in prison. Donald Turpin, Michael's father, has been quoted saying that he is very happy that the people who murdered his son are, you know, no longer going to be able to get out and that justice, you know, has been served. It's, you know, also good for him just to point out that, like, he doesn't have to go through these parole hearings. I think when I read it somewhere, he had been going to every single parole hearing for three decades Or at least maybe not going, but like having to respond and basically having to relive the pain of losing Michael, you know, every so often for 30 years. I mean, I can't even imagine the relief he must be feeling. And, you know, I'm not even sure how old he is at this point, if he is even still alive. But, you know, I hope that he is now at peace and can really just 
fully move on. And I think that's also the one thing that we forget. You know, we get all excited about the verdict coming out and people, you know, getting life. But when the possibility of having parole is involved, those family members are sometimes called on to testify and basically give an impact statement and sometimes, you know, for the people on the board for the parole. So, again, like I said, just reliving all of that. And I know, I just wanted to point out, I know I mentioned that Keith was given life without parole. I don't know what happened or at some point, or maybe this other source is wrong. Um, But it seemed like maybe Keith was then granted parole. Um, So, yeah, I included him in that. Again, maybe not sure. Either way, though, like I said, they're all spending their days in prison. And Don feels that justice has been served. So that's really all that matters. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode. That is all I have for you this week. Don't forget to follow True Crime and Academia on social media at True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok and threads and at TC and Academia on Twitter slash X. If you would like to have access to the bonus episodes that I do, every month or try to do every month go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room and hit subscribe it for the price of a cup of coffee a month i'd really appreciate it because i will buy myself coffee with that money especially this upcoming week your girl is tired all right my loves i hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend If you are on the Upper East Coast, stay safe and stay warm out there. And until next week, my loves, I will see you all later.